You know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune, because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. This is actually episode 555, and you would think that by now I would have the video and audio cues all figured out, but you would be wrong, folks. Uh, this is the Rec Poker Podcast. We try our best, but we're this is amateur hour in the best possible way, and I'm so proud to be here. Um, I have the best freaking job in the world, hanging out here uh, on Monday nights with my friends over YouTube, talking poker with the Wrecking Crew. Uh, come join us for free every week on Monday at 7.30 Eastern, live on YouTube. Show up for free, and you can win a real prize just for being part of the group. Um, I've got some exciting news Fox Wallace is here for the show tonight, and uh, boy, I okay, I, 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 we'll, we'll get to him in just a second. I'm really excited to get into some stuff with uh, Chris Fox Wallace. First, I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. If you want to find out more about them, you can go to runaces.com. They're an hour north of the Twin Cities in the beautiful state of Minnesota. And I just got back from a fantastic, a banger of a weekend, rec poker weekend at Running Aces. We broke some attendance records for tournament participation. Um, we gave away a bunch of prizes. Chris Jones binked a tournament. And he also freaking bubbled me right off the final table holding pocket fives is like a fairy tale story but i gave him the goods later on anyway you'll hear more about that later but thank you to running aces we are a largely volunteer-based organization most of what we do here is free so we really depend on the support of our sponsors and our premium members i want to thank all of everyone who's a premium member for your 15 bucks a month i mean it's for less than 50 cents a day you can come connect over zoom with other fun encouraging poker players all trying to get better for free or all trying to get better together but you can also join for free we have so many free resources here at rec poker and all it takes to sign up is an email address and a smile although we do encourage both now they let me host the show on mondays but i'm only one man and it takes a group a gang a village a crew to make all the magic happen around here we call this group of wizards the wrecking crew and if you want to find out more about me or the rest of the wrecking crew you can go to rec.poker slash crew but you can also just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right here tonight on the show starting with producing co-host chris jones well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5v5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And yes, I did bank a tournament this weekend, but the highlight was knocking Jim out in his last 10,000 chips in the tournament. Uh, and I run our monthly deep dive for Rec Poker. <laughs> and I'm John Somsky, also known as Poker Geek MN Everywhere. And I run our home games. And I managed to play in all four Rec Poker tournaments twice without cashing. <laughs> Although I was the bubble boy in one. <laughs> so you and I were both bubble. That's fantastic. Uh, great, great, great work, everybody. Joseph. Hey guys, I'm Joseph Wills. I am hockey underscore poker in the X Twitter verse and uh, hockey underscore poker 702 in the poker stars home game. Also, you can find me on the website. Look for the be a better fish series of articles on the site because we all want to be a better fish. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 just about everywhere. And you can join me every uh, first and third Wednesdays of each month when we go through different poker books and study them together. That's right. It's just one of the perks of being a premium member here. 
Uh, we have so many great ways of uh, learning poker together, studying poker together, playing. It's uh, part of this great community that we've uh, become a part of here at Rec Poker. So um, I am so excited. We're going to be joined uh, this week by Chris Fox Wallace. And I'm just going to break the news. Chris, uh, you are our very newest Wrecking Crew member. He's taken the plunge. He wants to get more involved with Wreck Poker. Uh, Fox is going to be contributing to some of our premium membership material. He's going to be uh, offering some uh, coaching stuff through our shop. There's going to be a bunch of ways you can work with uh, Fox directly um, or with some of our study groups. So, um, Fox, I just want to say, A, what a great fit this is because we've been like bosom Minnesota buddies for a long time, you and the rec poker community. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful for your participation. And I just want to say welcome to the show and welcome to the wrecking crew. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. I have been like rec poker adjacent for years now and yeah. friends with friends with a lot of the original, you know, crew. And, uh, you know, I've known Somsky for, I don't know, 15 years or something. And have played with almost everybody who's in the crew in Minnesota and, you know, knew Steve right from the start and, and helped actually bought the original rec.poker domain name for Steve and have, you know, ah. been part of it for a long time. So it's about time, I guess. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Overdue, overdue, I think. Uh, and you've been a great friend of the show, like I say, for a long time. Um, so I can't wait to see uh, what the future holds for us. We've been talking about a few different ways um, that our members can kind of get more more Chris Fox Wallace in their life. And uh, stay tuned, folks, I guess is all I can say. Uh, you'll see some details coming out over the next few weeks about some of these fantastic um, uh, uh, productions that we're putting together and different study opportunities and that kind of thing. Um, so, Chris, if most of our folks, most of our listeners kind of have heard of you. They know who you are. Um but let's just give, if our listeners don't, if there's a few new listeners that we picked up recently and they don't know about you, um, can you just give a little bit of a kind of a background on uh, what people should know <laughs> and uh, and kind of like what, what you're working on now? You've had so much success. You're a published author, WSOP bracelet winner, uh, coach. You've worked with training sites. Uh, you're, I mean, uh, well, don't let me put you in a box. Why don't you get started? Yeah, I... Uh... I've done well. I quit my last job in in the year two thousand. Um, I've been a serial entrepreneur my entire life. Uh, I just don't like having a boss, really. Um, you know, so I've done a lot of things in the poker world. Uh, worked most recently for Cards Chat was a uh, was one of their uh, was a writer for them. I've done a lot of writing. Published three books. Worked for I don't know ten training sites, maybe more. Um, you can see my content on Poker X Factor, Red Chip Poker, Learn WPT, Ivy League. Uh, I don't remember all the rest. A, a bunch of them, um, and I've you know I've trained some of the best players in the world. Uh, I ha have had a string over the last couple of years of like old school TV famous pros who have come to me and said, "I need to learn this new school stuff." Um, and so it's been super fun to work with some of the people who were like a big deal when I was first getting started, you know, that like, Ooh, if I could just play with this person, that would be cool. And now I'm coaching them. Um, <laughs> you know, written three books on the topic, uh, you know, made, made tons of training content and, but mostly been a professional poker player for the last 24 years or so. And, uh, and then I, I, I have all these other side hustles because I, I don't want to play poker full time anymore. Mm. So I love coaching. I love a little bit of playing and I, and then, but do a bunch of other things too. I think that's, you know, such an important point. Um, I did a AMA on Twitter the other day and the question of like being a pro came up and I was just like, oh God, I like, 
the the life of a full-time pro honestly sounds terrible but the life but the life of someone but if you can like have poker playing poker be like a little piece of what you're doing i mean man that's that's the way to do it right uh you you've obviously transitioned to that and and you feel like that's the right the right way to do it if you've got these other ways of making money from the poker world yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a poker pro initially. My, you know, mm-hmm. I decided I was going to be a poker pro before I had ever played a hand of Texas Hold'em. And six months later, I was making too much money to go to work and quit my job. <laughs> but most people can't get away with that. I had a car that was paid off. Uh, I lived in a small apartment. I didn't have a lot of expenses. I was young. I didn't have a family. I didn't have any of those things. It would be insane for, for most people to do that now. And the game is so much tougher now. Mm. I'm not sure that in six months I could be that good now if I just started fresh. And, you know, it's really hard. Um and my my friend Al Schoonmaker, who wrote all the books on poker psychology, um, Al told me 20 years ago, uh, poker is a great side hustle and a really miserable full-time job. And I had to do it full-time for about 12 years before I realized he was right. I, it took me a long time. And, and he's right. It, it really isn't a great full-time job. Most of the full-time pros that I know are not um, – they're not doing great. They, you know, they're not. They're either not happy. Uh, they don't have fulfilling lives, or they're not physically healthy, or whatever it is. It's very hard. You know that you you do have your um, a few of the superstars who are like, you know, living this amazing life. But it's very hard to be one of those guys. Um, and and poker really has to be your life. You know, they're like I, I read an interview years ago with an assistant coach in the NFL, and they said, you know, what's your plan to transition to full time coaching? And he said, I don't have one of those. I love my kids, and I get to see them. And 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 like the the interviewer was shocked, and he was like, No, that's you know, this is by far the more sensible way to live. Um, you know, to to be uh, you know, one of the best in the world, you need to be incredibly driven and probably probably a little broken, honestly. Um, <laughs> You know, becoming a happier person over the last seven or eight years has really killed some of my drive to be the best in the world. I don't need it anymore. And and that has really pointed out to me that the people who do need it, most of them need some help rather than a trophy. You know, it's it's it it really is like the 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 obsession with being with being one of those people isn't isn't necessarily healthy. And 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 after my bracelet went in 2014, um, I considered, you know, do I want to go on the road? You know, I have this, I have this now. Um, I had, you know, at the time, I don't know, seven or $800,000 in, in tournament winnings and millions in cash game winnings. And I could go uh, be on the road, play everything and be a famous poker player. And, you know, I talked to my wife about it. I talked to my parents about it just to see if, you know, the older people had some more wisdom about it. And when I, when I kind of talked to everybody about what that life was like, they all told me, don't do that. And they, and they were right. Those, those people, you know, living in hotels and having your, I know a bunch of pros who live in hotels and have storage spaces in Vegas where they keep some of their stuff. And that's not a life I want to live. And in eating casino food, you know, sitting in crappy chairs, um, you know, and then, and then the high stakes world is not as much fun. Uh, you know, high stakes tournaments can be really fun because the, the conversation is great and the people are very interesting, but the high stakes world in cash games involves a lot of being nice to people you don't like. It involves a lot of it involves a lot of you know finding any way you can to get the whale in the game because there's only one and if he's not there there's no game and you know treating that person differently very differently than you would in any other situation just uh, I don't want to do that that doesn't that doesn't make me happy and I think um, you know it also must change the way that you love poker or the way that you feel about poker when you're 
when it's it's the the method of 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 you know making a living when it's something that all of your livelihood depends on you know the cards going your way and not running bad and you know making it's i just feel like you get to enjoy it much more when it's just a piece of the puzzle and and, and not the whole thing you think that's true i absolutely and really what i did for the first you know till i was probably in my mid 40s was ruin all of my hobbies by making them in a job <laughs> yes 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 you know I, yeah. I i loved martial arts so i became a professional thai boxer and then i hated it uh yep. you know loved music so then i became a, a a guitar builder and repair guy and then discovered I didn't, I didn't really love that you know did all these all these things and you know and playing music for a living too was like this isn't what i wanted to do i like I, <laughs> these are not the gigs i wanted these are not the these are not what this is not what i pictured where's my big record deal and my stardom yeah. and you know uh yeah i mean all of my hobbies have really have ruined and turned them into jobs until until i figured out that i was doing that and that i needed to stop doing that and now i have hobbies and it's and i like them and i still like them five years later it's great that's amazing that's part of having a rich full life right um i've seen we've got a couple uh comments in the youtube chat already i want to remind that if you're watching us live in youtube you're going to have a chance to win a prize later as part of our food bank uh, raffle, where we uh, offer support to food banks around the world to fight uh, against uh, food insecurity. And um, if you have any questions for Fox, please do type them into the chat. And also, Chris Jones is going to be taking suggestions of famous poker players' names so we can play stake study stack with Fox at the end of the interview. So start typing some famous poker players' names into the YouTube chat and get ready uh, for our food bank drive at the end of the show. Um, so <laughs> we've got a couple here from Troy Chapman, um, who I know you're very familiar with. I do know uh, Troy. Long time rec poker member and a really, I mean, a fantastic guy. And he's also been really impactful for how we kind of work uh, within our organization here. So uh, great to be hearing from you, Troy. I'm glad you're able to before, chime before in. Before that, we have YouTube a visitor. Set. Oh, hello. I told, I, told, I told my wife to send the puppy in if she was bothering her. <laughs> she'd be on the podcast. So this is Carmen, our puppy. All right, everyone wave to Carmen. Hello, Carmen, you adorable the, uh, little thing. There's a second webcam here that is is pointed down, and, and I have an area on my desk where I can put her dog bed. And if she's sleepy and wants to be in here, I just put her up there on the desk while I'm. And, and then this is all set up for the uh, for the broadcasts that I'm going to do, uh, <laughs> live streaming some poker, where I have the floof cam set up. So <laughs> if she's in here, I can just put that on and people would rather look at her than me. And so she'll be in the corner of the screen instead if she's around. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, Troy's, Troy's got a couple of comments in here. He says, amongst all your jobs, uh, the one that he appreciates the most is being a, a tour guide for the arts district in Vegas and <laughs> taking Australians <laughs> out for dinner as part of, uh, as part of that, uh, that portfolio. Uh, and he says he's just been a massive long-term fan of your books, your coaching, um, and encourages us to get you more involved in our mixed game uh, mandate over here. I know, Fox, you've already joined Absolutely. me to record some uh, mixed games forums, editions of the podcast coming up. I know uh, mixed games are something very close to your heart. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got a lot on the go. What you, you recently re released a novel as well. Um, and uh, you're, you're a, a successful musician, like you mentioned. Um, are there any like I've kind of referred to you as a renaissance man before we got started on the show here. Is there anything that you're not particularly good at? <laughs> Certainly. 
Uh, <laughs> I've gotten better over the years, but diplomacy was something I wasn't good at. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, um, sometimes patience and tolerance are not easy for me around, uh, you know, in situations I don't enjoy. Those go uh, hand in hand. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I'm very creative in terms of music and, and writing. Um, but my music has a, my musical abilities have a limit. And, uh, so, you know, I, I got a job at a music store. I don't know when I was probably the 22 or something. And, uh, was doing some guitar tech work, but mostly was just working in the music store doing, you know, selling guitars to people and stuff. And, and I saw people come through who were, who were really, really gifted musicians. And it's one of those things like mostly talent equals practice. And I still believe that in most things, mm -hmm. but I, you know, but if you're five, eight, you just don't get to play in the NBA or be a professional high jumper. You just yep. don't. Yep. And, yep. and, yep. and so, um, you know, I saw people come into the music store, start working for us. It was, it was the kid, Jeff Plankenhorn, who's still like a, an excellent musician. He's, he's touring the, the West coast right now. Um, Jeff came in like freshly graduated from the University of Michigan with a with music degree at like 22 years old or something and 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 he was good but he wasn't he wasn't a great guitar player he was what a 22 year old guitar player can be and then uh 2 years later I was like holy crap this is this kid's a wizard he's unbelievable and he's and I and I put a dobro in his hand once and he was like this is this is great how do I do this thing and like 10 minutes later he was really good at it and I thought I just don't have that I just don't have that, that, that very top level ability. I just don't have it. And my, my business partner and co-author of, of a couple of my books, Adam Stemple is like a truly gifted musician. So when he's playing guitar, I just shut up and watch. Mm -hmm. I can, I can impress most people, but Adam can impress me. And there's, <laughs> there's a real difference there. So, the, I mean, there's certainly things that, that, that I've discovered. I'm just, I just don't do as well. Now, yeah. one of the things that you do extremely well is uh, help other people understand the game of poker. And we teased that at the top of the show. You know, uh, as an author, you've worked with a lot of different training sites. Uh, you do individual coaching. Um, let's just talk generally. I mean, I, I know we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ways that you're going to get involved in the rec poker programming and some of the uh, membership content that we produce here. But what what do you think people are doing? What do you think a lot of people are doing wrong? when it comes to how to learn poker or how to teach other people about poker? What are sort of like some common mistakes or misconceptions that uh, people just don't seem to, to get? I've thought a lot about how to kind of bridge this gap and how to teach poker in a more complete way. It is, you start playing poker, you don't know really anything. And then you learn all of these old saws, these little bits of wisdom. And and they and they and they they're things you use to get a little better, right? So we, we learn things like um, you know deuces are a favorite against Ace King. You can really misuse this piece of information. Right? <laughs> this could get you in lots of trouble. Um, you learn that like you want to see a flop with ten jack suited, but you don't want to see a flop with aces or with kings or queens, right? Um, and you want to you don't want to get that hand cracked, and so you you behave in different ways, and they help you go from zero to 10, but they don't get you to 60 or a hundred miles an hour. And in fact, they prevent you from getting there. So, you know, instead, if we learn about pot odds and fold equity and, and, you know, uh, ranges and how people play in different situations, um, 
then we can then and we can look at 10 jack suited and go oh this is the spot for me to fold this because there's two two resteal stacks behind me and i'm just i'm just punting off two and a half big blinds if i call to see a flop here i'm not going to get to see it or this is a spot where i should rip it in for 22 big blinds because i'm in the small blind and somsky opened the button <laughs> he's going to fold <laughs> and so you know or um or I better flat here because Joseph opened the button and he's going to call. <laughs> I can't, I can't rip it in here. That's ridiculous. Like you, you learn to play the hand differently instead of the old saw that you learned, but that means unlearning all of those little bits of information that you picked up over the years about how to play. We, we are guaranteed to pick up a whole bunch of bad habits before we get serious about learning the game. And so it's, it's unlearning those bad habits and then, you know, I've thought a lot about how to teach people starting with good habits right away. And um, I'm working on a course on that right now, which may end up on Rec Poker. It might end up on my Patreon page somewhere um, that starts with the shortest stacks, like my book. I started at zero to five stacks, but then takes the concept, the 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 which what's your weapon here? How much fold equity do you have? All those things, and takes it all the way to up to two hundred big blinds, and talks about a lot of different situations. So, um, you know, an important concept in like say the resteal zone is that there's enough money in the pot now for you to to care about stealing it as a percentage of your stack, but there's not so much that your opponent is always going to call. And we have to find that sweet spot, right? So the resteal zone is that sweet spot for restealing over an open. The push fold zone is that spot for shoving over the blinds. You know, we found this it's stacked to pot ratio is is kind of how you could express it, but it's really the sweet spot you're looking for. Well, that sweet spot exists at 200 big blinds too, if you get far enough in. So you want to plan out how to where do I want to be when that sweet spot hits? How do I want to get us there? Do I want to put my opponent in that spot so he can jam on me? Or do I want to th get him to put me there? Or do I want to threaten him so he won't put me there? And and use that same concept all the way up. What are you so that in any hand you look through it and you go, okay, these are my weapons here. If I do this, it'll be, uh, you know, I'll have to treat it this way and and be a threat all the time. I still uh, think about a, a table I played more than 10 years ago at the win and like a 2K at the win. That was one of the toughest tables at the time I'd ever played on. Like uh, mm. the guy to my left was a pro. Uh, the guy to his left was Brian Devonshire. To Brian's mm. left was Annette Oberstad. To her left was Retchy. To Retchy's left was Assassinato. To Assassinato's left was, and it went all the <laughs> way around the table. Like I was the least <laughs> known player at the table, and I was playing like really for a living at the time, and everybody knew who I was. It was horrible. And then, uh, and then Ty Raymond came in, who was like who looked at the time like he was 14 was really young looking and had just taken second, I think in the, in the, the, the PCA or maybe one or something. And I had no idea who he was. And, and Devo told me on break, Oh, that's, that's Ty Raymond. And I, and, and who like that he had had a, some success and, and I came back and, and from break and he was, every bat was a threat and he did not care if he went broke. He was like, you guys want some? Let's go. And every bet was like, he would bet a third of the pot, which back then was unheard of. He would bet a third of the pot, and you would look at it and think, oh, if I raise him about the size of the pot, he's got like 4X pot, 3X pot to rip it in. So I can't. Or he would check to you because he's got 1.8X pot. And just he was going, go ahead and bet, dude. See how that goes. 
he was it was amazing the constant threat of everything that he did and and i really have have like i would like to teach people how to do that and it's a thing that that like a lot of us do now it was just that was the first time i had seen it against a group against a table of great players you know used in that way so i would like to be teaching people how to how to think about the game in that way instead of trying to teach them a bunch of old saws or a bunch of rules i want to i would love to teach them how to think about those few core concepts that are so hard to express, but that are, that are the, the key to winning. Yeah, that, that's a, that actually kind of takes up a question in the YouTube chat here, um, talking about transitioning from playing for fun and starting to look at things from a more analytical uh, profit mindset. What are a few of the things that people have to do differently when they decide to go pro or maybe not even to go pro, but to, to play more for money than for fun to kind of slide over on that spectrum a little bit. What are some of the things that people need to do differently? I don't know if you can hear that, but it's the world's saddest puppy. No, I think we're coming through clear. <laughs> well, well, Fox is going to help Carmen out. Um, I will just remind our YouTube chatters. If you've got any questions for Fox, type them right into the uh, chat there and we'll make sure that we ask them. And if you're here on the uh, Wrecking Crew panel in the in the podcast, just unmute and we'll get you on there. Oh, and I'll remind our listeners, if you're a premium member and you're listening right now, uh, Chris Jones is going to be hosting the Deep Dive uh, seminar recording session as soon as the pod, well, uh, shortly after the podcast. So if you're a premium member and you're listening live, don't forget to jump into the Deep Dive with Chris. That's one of the best uh, things that we do here at Rec Buffer. There she is. They're back. Jeff, that's like a disarmingly cute dog. Yeah, she's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. (laughs) She's she's so cute and also like mild mannered and friendly that we can't even go places. People cross the street and to to like want to meet the dog and like it's wonderful to take her through a group of people and just watch people like smile and dance a little bit through the day after they see her. She's she's amazing. I did not want to dog, but uh, I like this one. There's no substitute for good dogs. Dogs dogs are the best. There's no doubt. That's right. Um, so, Chris, we we got interrupted there, but um, t- talk to me a little bit about the change in mindset from being a, a fun recreational player to taking it more seriously and caring more about actually winning money than having fun. Because I do think that's there's a bit of a trade-off there. You kind of have to decide, am I playing for fun or am I going to have less fun because I'm focusing on on results more? What, what, what do we have to think about when we make that switch? switch? For years, I thought that way. And I would tell mm-hmm. my students, uh, okay, if you're going to be serious about this, then you are trading some fun for money. And I no longer think that's that's either true or the way to look at it, one of the two. Um, you know, you're, you're having a different kind of fun now. It's mm-hmm. a better way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of research on the words that we use matter in how we think. And that we should, you know, th- can be considerate of that. You know, um, I quit nicotine a couple months ago and, and I had a friend who told me, don't say you're quitting, say right. you have quit. Mm. And it actually matters. It mm. actually matters in how your brain sees things if you think that way. So um, I think we should we should say fun in poker is different now. It's not gambling. It is um, what can I do? in this situation it is solving mysteries solving logic puzzles uh finding ways to handle different situations it is now uh 
it is now a game of puzzle solving and doing the right thing and making money is the fun part and making good decisions is the fun part and gambling isn't and finding out what the next card is going to be isn't. And that's the transition from one kind of fun to the next, because when we start, it is, Ooh, what's that? You know, and, and like one of the ways you pick out, uh, you know, in Vegas in particular, we have these, we have so many recreational poker players that are just coming through mm-hmm. right in Minnesota. I knew everybody I played with every night. In Vegas, I almost never know more than one or two people at the table. And if I do know them, they're other pros and I don't, I'm not happy to see them. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so instead of knowing how a fish plays, cause I played with them for the last two years, every night, I know how they play because I see the things they do right away. So, you know, sometimes I see a particular look, certainly you get better at judging looks and, and how people's appearances indicate how they're going to play, but you also see the things they do right away. And one of those things might be uh, asking to see what the next card is. You know, everybody folds the flop, and the guy who folded the flop wants to see what the turn card was, right? That guy's not a pro. Right. 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 He's a guy who wants to gamble and wants to see cards. And that means he's not going to fold a lot because he wants to see the cards, right? So this is a guy you can value bet against. Yep. Um, Especially those, like... uh, I've had people be mad at me a few times over these, but like those really, really small value bets where the guy just has to pay you because he wants to see the next card. <laughs> I had a guy at the World Series two years ago, like almost want to fight me because I bet $10 into a $200 pot on the turn. <laughs> and and he called and then the next card came and then I bet another $10 and then he called again because he had he made two pair. And then I showed him the straight that he knew I had. I had right. an ace in my hand and it was a 10 jack queen king board. And like... I bet $10 into 200. So he called, even though he had 10, eight and, you know, and then he caught his eight on the river and then had to call again. And then was super mad at me because I bet the $10 into 200, like I was stealing from him, um, which I sort of was, you know, but I knew he was, I knew he was the kind of guy who was going to call. So you, you, you change your, your view on the thing to turn everything into money. Turn every decision you make into money. And one of the ways, easiest ways to do that for me, when I've worked with students who are kind of making that transition and having trouble with it, I will usually tell them, um, I want you to turn poker into a game of probability for for a few weeks to to just look at it as, um, I'm going to estimate that this is the frequency that I'll win the pot and this is the pot odds I'm getting. And that means this is a call or it isn't a call. Mm-hmm. And then you do that thing that you just that that the that your calculations indicated. And I don't want you to trust your gut. Your gut will influence. Your gut can tell you what you how often you think you're going to win. Your gut doesn't tell you call or fold. Call or fold is entirely based on the comparison of your pot odds to the chances you're going to win the pot. And and turn turn everything into that. How often does this guy have this? Um, you know, the more you learn about the game, the easier that gets because you have all these other tools rather than your desire to gamble to mm-hmm. become more and more certain that your, you know, that your decision is correct. And then, and then, you know, tilt or emotions or desire to gamble won't creep into that so much. Now I know uh, Chris has a couple of questions from the YouTube uh, chat coming up, but um, I wanted to take off from what you were just saying there um, about sort of players displaying their weaknesses through actions or through appearance or something like that what are some of the other uh, and so like ask rabbit hunting looking for that next card um, from the dealer as an example of that what are some other examples of ways that 
players can display that they're less experienced or that there's someone that you that you can take advantage of or exploit at the table? What are some of those other, other actions that kind of key that information to you? Or the other way around. A lot or the other way around. Yes. They're really good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Give me a few examples. Uh, well, you know, so when I'm going to play cash and I walk up to a cash table, uh, you know, I played a lot of two, five cash for, for a big chunk of my living at the win, uh, kind of the few years before the pandemic. And it, it, in those games, it becomes so important to read people immediately because they are new people every night. And so, you know, the 56 year old guy with jet black dyed hair and a jet black dyed goatee and a $300 shirt where you turn the cuff in and it's a totally different looking thing than the right. <laughs> that guy's horrible. He's my favorite fish and he's never one time been good ever. He's horrible. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, I look for a table with that guy at it. Like I see sure. those turned up cuffs and I go, Oh, that guy, you know, a table change to that guy's table. <laughs> and, and if I see a 28 year old Asian girl with headphones on being quiet, she's awesome at poker. I don't want to play poker with her ever. She's going to be good every single time. And some of that comes from knowing your own, your game. What, you know, it, th- these, these things might not all be true in the game you, where you play. Right. But I've learned what's true in my game. And so learning those appearances, I've, I've got a couple students that have taken a bunch of pictures at poker tournaments and then brought them to me. And, and, you know, so let's go through these and we'll, you know, talk about each of the people and who they are and, you know, and sometimes just appearance reads will fool you, but behavior combined with appearance reads will never fool you. Um, so the you know when uh, when the Asian girl, the twenty eight year old Asian girl with headphones shows up at the table, um, I've never seen this, but if she shows up and makes some sort of amateurish mistake, you have to reassess who this person is. You know, but it's very rare in that case. Uh, you know, the uh, the more common one might be somebody who shows up in poker gear, right? Like mm. I'm playing a $500 tournament and somebody shows up in a three bet hoodie. Is this guy any good? And there's no way to know that just from the fact that he's wearing a three bet hoodie. Cause uh, you know, uh, last time I played with uh, Greg Mueller, he was wearing a three bet hoodie and that dude can play. Yeah. But I see random recreational fish, like bad recreational players. Um, show up in three bet hoodies all the time or WSOP hoodies. Maybe is a better example. In, yeah. So the guy wearing WSOP gear is much less likely to be good, but sometimes, sometimes that's Sean D who forgot his hat, right? <laughs> that happened once, right? Like, you know, you can, you can end up with a great player who just needed a hoodie that day and doesn't care if he spends 120 bucks on a crappy hoodie or whatever. Um, I, I really like to, to and I've cataloged like hundreds of these and thought about writing a book about it, um, behavior reads, not mm-hmm. that tell you what a person has at the moment, but tell you who the person is. I really like those, and I find them very interesting studying them, and it's something that people haven't talked about very much. So, like, you show the guy the winning hand on the river, right, essentially the nuts, and he picks up his cards holds him in front of his face, shows him to the other guy, like shakes his head. It's like, he's got, he's got a nine there. He's got a nine there. And like taps his cards twice on the table, has a five minute funeral for his hand. Right. If somebody throws a funeral for their hand, what do we know about them? (laughs) 
they're, they're not experienced enough to just let it go would be the first thing that came to my mind. But there, but there are players who are experienced who will do this. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, the, absolutely. They've got this emotional attachment, I guess, to, yes. uh, to the in hand. Yeah. They are attached to their hand. They have a, they're having trouble folding it if they when you showed them the nuts. <laughs> Think how hard it's going to be for them to fold on the turn. Right. It was, it was, if it's hard for them to fold when it's a hundred percent that they're beaten and they've been shown it to their face, they're going to have real trouble folding the turn when they have a chance to win. They're going to, they, they are a non-believer and they're going to pay you off. And sometimes they're going to pay you off to big bets because that makes them more curious. They are vulnerable to the musky approach, which I, I wrote about years and years ago in an article in, you know, all in magazine, I think where uh, where I talked about musky fishing in Minnesota and the way to catch a musky is to piss them off. You, you know, they, they see a big flashing bright bait and they get mad and they hit it. The big ones, you know, that's how you catch them. And, um, and I talked about the, you know, the things that make people angry at the poker table that make them, that make them attack the pot. You know, sometimes it's checking twice. Some people just can't stand it. Sometimes it's, making a, an oversized bet, right? And if you get that guy that, that throws a funeral for his hand and the pot's really small, you might mm -hmm. want to start making oversized bets to try to build that pot up really big because making small bets is going to yield you with a very small return. So whereas with a good player, if you start making those big bets, you're never going to win a big pot from a big, from a good player unless he's, you know, unless it's super cooler. But from that, from that funeral, from Mr. Funeral, um, <laughs> you're going to see the I know it's ridiculous, right? You're gonna see <laughs> a call from that guy who just gets stubborn and wants to know what the next card is. Yeah, you know, I like so, that, Mister so, Mister Funeral. I like that. Yes, yeah, exactly. And we can look for behaviors like that. Uh, you know, the way that people look at their cards, the way they hold their cards, the way they fold their cards, the way they stack their chips, the way they shuffle their chips, the way they talk to the dealer, the way they talk to people. Who are? Who is this person? And I send a lot of my students on these uh, call side quests to uh, do secret interviews. Go talk to some people out in the world. Uh, don't let they they should not know they're being interviewed. But that's pretty easy because when you ask people questions, everybody wants to talk about themselves, right? Um, that's why it's so easy to get us on these podcasts. Really, because <laughs> all just want to talk about ourselves. And so you can you can you know standing in line at the bank or. Uh, next to somebody on the train or whatever it is, um, just start asking people questions, talking to them and asking them questions. And then, and at the end of this very short secret interview, I want you to look at what they look like and, 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 and all the information that you could gather. And without them having any idea they're being interviewed afterwards, I want you to answer all these questions and it'll be like, how much money do they make? Uh, how, do, how are they socially, right? Are they, are they conservative or extravagant? Um, who did they vote for? Um, where do they live? Where did they grow up? What kind of family do they grow up in? I want to know how, how do they feel about gambling? What kind of poker player are there? I, are they, I want to know about all these things, um, soon, soon as possible, uh, in this interview. And, and by the end of the interview, I want you to know all these things. And that includes appearance, right? If somebody tells you that they're a farmer, but they're, but they're wearing the $300 shirt, then they're not a farmer. They're a guy who owns farmland and pays people to farm it. And they make a lot of money, but they don't actually farm, right? So they're not. So when this person says they're a farmer, that that tells us, well, I know he's not actually just a farmer. So that tells me he feels like people will uh, will have more respect for him if he says he's a farmer than if he says I inherited, 
12,000 acres from my grandfather and and people farm it and pay me money to do it. The, right? Like he's 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 saying that he's a farmer when he's not and that tells you all the a bunch of things about his personality, right? Um if then you ask him about something and he mentions um if he mentions going to church, if we combine church and farmer, we get Republican 90%. If we, or if he says something about Trump, if we combine Trump and farmer, we get churchgoer 90%. Mm, that's right. Yeah. If instead he says something about, um, he says something about uh, a liberal social policy that he likes, right? Then we know Biden voter. We also know um, not a typical farmer. So when he says he's a farmer, He's not actually trying to to brag about being a farmer in the same way that most of them would be. Like it's a different kind of brag to him. For him, it might be I'm a farmer and I'm different than other farmers, and he's proud of that. That might be like part part of what he's doing. Um, but we, you know, and then if he says um, he's got a he's got a couple daughters and he's really proud of his family uh, and they live in um, Omaha. Right now, this he's a family man because he because he chose to mention it and talk about how proud he was. Right, a lot of guys don't do that. Um, and so and he lives in Omaha, so his farmland is probably close to Omaha, and he is in fact somebody who owns a bunch of farmland. But he might have, um, right? If he said he lives in New York City, now he's just a person who inherited some farmland for sure. Mm-hmm. But if he says he lives in Omaha, maybe he's a person who worked a farm for a while, was a really good business person, built it up, now just pays people to to, to work his farms. You know, could be a different. Could be a different thing. Um, if he instead lives in the middle of nowhere and talks about uh, talks about big cities like he doesn't like them much, then we go back to Trump voter, right? <laughs> Does don't like big cities is usually conservative voter. Yeah, um, and we we think, oh, this guy probably is a a, a good hard nosed business person who is in fact farming but he's got money and he's proud of it. This is like, and, and we already know uh Trump voter and farmer. So probably churchgoer. And in this case, given the shirt and how proud he is of his money, we're probably evangelist church. Probably that, that um, what's the term for it? Now I forget the word for it, but there's a word for Christians who believe that, that the more money you have, the more God is rewarding you for money. Is that oh. there's a word for it. And I just don't remember what it is, yeah. but, but like, you know, even people who don't, don't know that's a thing, right? That now that's probably this guy. Um, now that guy is probably a better poker player than most of the others. If he's a hard-nosed business person who's made this money himself, uh, then then he's not letting go of money easily. Right? And and like yeah. I played with lots of farmers in the Midwest who were not attached to the money they had because mm-hmm. in fact they're much bigger gamblers than we are. Right. They, you know, I mean, when farmers refer to me as a gambler, I would laugh. Like I've never had a year where I lost a million dollars. How about you? And they would go, oh, yeah. And they go, well, that's what I thought then. So one of us is a gambler, and 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 you know sometimes those guys are very comfortable because losing a couple of thousand over the course of the night is nothing to them mm-hmm. because they're just used to gambling for such huge quantities of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know you look at all the things that make up who this person is. If um, I did a thing. Years and years ago, um, we we brought a bunch of students to Reno, 11, 11 people, I think, uh, for a weekend for a seminar. And I had 
Adam was there and Al Schoonmaker was there. Um, and I had them bring the students in for the first class. And I had not seen any of these people. And then I walked in and cold read everybody in the room. And I told them all about themselves. And I knew this would be a good hook. And it was a great hook. They were all impressed. It worked great. And the one guy, I said, you make between 60 and $90,000 a year. And he said, how do you know that? And I said, because you're wearing a guest watch. And it was like a $110 watch. And 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 I, I'm into watches, right? And I, and I used to be really into watches. And so um, you don't have that watch if you're worth $100 million or even $10 million. Right, right, right. And you don't have that watch if you're worth, if, you know, if you make 25 grand a year, you're not spending, you know, 125 bucks, 150 bucks on a watch. And it's not a watch that people generally get as a gift. Right. If it was a cheap, right. Movado, right. Movado makes watches like almost down to that price range. And that's some, something you might give someone as a gift, but not a, not a watch from guests. So, so this is a person of reasonable means, right? If, a, if, if the guy was worth $5 million, he's either going to have a Rolex or he's going to have a calculator watch worth five bucks, but he's not going to have this middle of the road, $150 guest watch. So it tells me not with better than 90% accuracy, what his income is by looking at his watch. Now, now take every piece of a person's clothing, behavior, every choice they've made about how they look and break them down the same way. And then do a secret interview with them, and then you just know everything about them. When I talk to people at the poker table and ask them what they do, I'm kind of interested. Mostly, I just want their money. And they're going to tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, boy. I feel like we just had a clinic on extrapolating information from a limited data set. And like, that's such a crucial skill in the game of poker. And like you say, Fox, you know, you have to start with some assumptions. And when you get different people in the poker room day after day, different tourists and, you know, non-serious players, being able to size them up and make good assumptions about them feels like a crucial skill for, for a poker player. And obviously something that uh, also helps you in other parts of your life, but um, that's a, just a fantastic uh, way of going through that. Some great, some great details. Um, that game that that a lot of couples play, where you look at some some other people and try to guess what their story is. Yeah, I'm awesome at that game. <laughs> <laughs> and that's playing that game is how you get good at what I just talked about. It's playing yeah. that game with everything and every person. And, and I, I was just going to ask a little follow-up there. So, like, to ha, ha, what, what are some ways to hone that skill? Just by practice? Just by doing the practice interviews? Just by – and how do you kind of calibrate whether you're correct or not? Because I can see if, if you just get used to making assumptions, it's kind of hard to know if those assumptions are accurate or not. I mean, a lot of them are, you know, once you realize them, you know that they're right with a certain mm -hmm. frequency. Um, mm -hmm. But but then also you're just making those assumptions and then watching how people play because how someone yep. plays should trump that assumption if there's a change. Yeah. You know, yep. If you're wrong, you should be able to see it in their play. And then, you know, being able to do the same thing with people's play is also important. Right. But but start with uh, trying to extrapolate from every little thing you see and get a group of people together that you text with and tell them. Right. Like to put it up for each other. Uh, I used to have a Facebook group where we did some of this, a bunch of pros, where we would post a behavior and then talk about what it meant, right? So uh, someone walks up to a tournament table with their chips in their act, sets it down. As they walk up, they're looking at each player and they're looking at each stack size 
they're not really they're not looking at the dealer or the cards on the table or anything they're just looking at the stacks and the players and they quietly set it down and sit down pop the chips out of their rack and stick their rack under their chair and this 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 is how a pro tends to approach a, a new tournament table when they get moved and yep. an amateur tends to walk up looking at the table itself and their seat and maybe the cards that are in the middle of the pot that's being played and is oh you know what's my new table all about and the, and and the first guy approaches it like a shark looking at trying to figure out where the seals are you know you see that you see that that approach you know um so extrapolate from every behavior you see and think about each one of them because you're going to see them over and over so mm-hmm. once you figure out what that shark eyes looks like you never miss it again yeah yeah i like that i like that uh, so we've got a bunch of questions in the YouTube chat. We're not going to have time for all of them today. Uh, that's the bad news. The good news is this isn't going to be your last chance to talk to uh, Chris Fox Wallace here at the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, but uh, Jay Fleming had a couple uh, in there. I'm glad we got to that one. Um, why don't we? We'll ask one quick one here from uh, Joe Rafter, a uh, longtime member, fantastic guy over in Ireland. Um, he says, You made a great point about the advantages of being perceived as always being a threat. Have you any advice on how to get out of the mindset of feeling like I'm the one under threat? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Uh, what has worked for me has been more knowledge. Be more certain. I know I'm making the right play here. The other is you may be playing too big. You should be playing tournaments where uh, bubbling isn't a big deal to you, where mm. uh, you're not afraid of your opponents. If you're playing in a tournament where you, you think that the, the average player is better than you, or there are many players who are better than you, then you should be treating it as a learning experience and not as a, you know, something that you're doing for money. It is a learning. Maybe you make some money, but mostly it's a learning experience. And I'm going to watch the good players and figure out how they do things um, that, you know, that confidence that, that approaching things, in a way that that you're the threat that you're the boss is a you know that is a skill to really work on sports psychology books can help mm. uh, have it you know resetting your mindset can help there's all kinds of tools for for changing your mindset too i mean i uh i bring earbuds to the table with me sometimes to block out noise sometimes to listen to books if i'm getting too distracted and sometimes to just change my mindset i have a bunch of playlists mm-hmm. on spotify that are you know I'm too involved in this game and I'm mad about it. I want to listen to this, my, you know, if I, or I'm, I'm not involved enough and I didn't have enough coffee today and I need to get fired up and you know, that's a different, whatever works for you that gets you in that space. You know, I, I use a hoodie and a hat to, and, and a pair of blue sharks to get me in that space sometimes too. And, uh, that really that does a big difference for me because if i'm if i'm feeling not involved enough in the game i can take off the hoodie i can take off the sunglasses and i can be let more of the game in and if i'm feeling threatened then i can put all those things i put the armor back on right and feel like i'm ready you know i'm ready for this thing now but a lot of it is just developing the knowledge and getting you know the knowledge gives you the confidence because now you know you're seeing so many mistakes at the table that you wouldn't make. You're seeing people do all these things and that that increases your confidence level for sure. I love that. All right. Well, uh, we're going to head into uh, the last couple segments of the interview here. Uh, Chris Jones is going to enter our stake study stack, and then we'll get into closing the action with a speed round and uh, let you on your way. Uh, Fox, Chris, take it away. 
All right, Fox. So I think you understand the game, but uh, we play a game here called Stake Study Stack. You're gonna, I'm gonna give you three names. Um, most of them came up during the show today. You're gonna pick one that you would like to stake in a cash game or tournament, one who you'd like to study with, and one who you'd just like to take all their chips. Uh, and the three names I have for you are Brian Devonshire, Sean Deeb, and your co-author of one of your books, Michael Mizraki. Oh, Deeb is the tough one there because I would, I would like to study with him because he's so sharp. I mean, he's there's like no chance that he's not one of the five best players in the world. But it's so much fun to stack him. <laughs> um, and staking him would be awfully valuable too if he could. I guess I would stake Devonshire. His results in tournaments are quite good, and I feel like he's one of those people who, if he's if he's got somebody backing him, he feels extra responsible for making that person money. Mm-hmm. Um, I would stake Devonshire, even though he's been out of the game for a while. He's still got the moves, I'm sure. He's he he still plays here and there. Um, and I would stack Ms. Rocky. Uh, I I like Michael. He's he's a funny guy, and he and it would be it would just be fun. And it would allow me to study with Sean Deeb, who's just a wizard. Love it. Love there it. There you go. Nice. Sean, I mean, Sean's incredibly sharp. Uh, and and playing with him is so interesting because he just, it's almost like he, it, like he can't slip. Like he just doesn't have any interest mm. in slipping. So while he may not make some of the very creative plays that a few of the other great players do, he just doesn't slip. He just doesn't. That's fun. Good answer. Um, we'll be tagging those players on Twitter when we, when we release the episode. So great. Uh, all, all, all will be revealed. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to enter the speed round now. We like to call this closing the action. Um, so Fox, uh, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. We're looking for rapid fire answers and you can say pass. So if you're having trouble coming up with a quick response, uh, you can say pass. Uh, okay. Let's get started. We'll start you off with with Wait. an easy. Oh no! All right, we're on Carmen duty first. Puppy, puppy priority. <laughs> I love that. I love that Fox's wife was like, "Hey, Chris, you're you're doing an interview, but God take have the this dog." Yeah. It was probably more the dog's decision. Actually. Yeah, and yeah. and Jim, Jim, I have a, I have a bonus question for the speed round when you're done. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Uh, we'll put that in last. Then. Um, all right. We're going to start okay. with an easy one. We're going to start with an easy one, Chris. And uh, speed is of the essence here. So what is your poker favorite poker hand? Aces. Is poker a gamble or a skill game? Skill. What is your biggest poker pet peeve? People bumping into my chair when they walk by me. Oh, God, I hate that. Um, what's your favorite non-poker book or one of your favorite non-poker books? The Road by Carmack McCarthy. Nice. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Is Ace King a drawing hand? No. Are you pro-chop or no-chop? Pro-chop. Uh, one of your favorite musical artists? Jimi Hendrix. What player type are you? 
Yes. <laughs> What's your favorite color? Blue. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. <laughs> uh, should vacations be lazy or busy? Oh, that's a good question for me. Thank you. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, what's one thing you're afraid of? We stumped him, gang. We got him. Yeah, I got nothing. They're coming up on pass. I love it. That's okay. That's what pass is for. Uh, what's your personal favorite mixed game? I know you enjoy a lot of mixed games. What's your favorite? Super stud eight. Yellow light coming up. Slow down or speed up? Bunch it. Uh, what's your favorite? You're, you're a child. It's the holidays. Back in the day, your, your favorite childhood holiday meal. What is it? Uh, Bluegills at my grandparents' house. Uh, register early or max late, Reg? No. Uh, who is your poker nemesis? Paul Volpe. All right, Joseph, you had one to throw in at the end. Yeah, using a card guard, does that categorize somebody as a fish? No, but it increases the likelihood. Hmm. All right. And that's the end of the speed round. But I do have one more question for you before we let you go. Um, what's one thing that the poker world needs to do differently? And you take a little time with this if you need to. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I could take, spend all day on this because I have yeah, a, I know a very could. strong yeah. opinion about it. Um, I love our local card rooms and casinos. They are wonderful places. Um, if you are a person who runs a card room or or owns a casino, please tune off now. Um, we're being held hostage by these fucking places. Uh, it, poker doesn't belong in these places, and it is costing us so much money that they spend lobbying money to keep us in this, these places. Mm. Uh, a poker tournament is not different from a nine-ball tournament or a scrabble tournament and should be played in the same places. And if it were, we'd be... Uh, playing at the convention center this weekend at the Red Bull Open, where uh, where my entry would be free, and there would be a million dollars added to the prize pool. I like the and way it, you think about it. Poker's man. poker. Everything would change about poker if we could just rip it out of the casinos, but they will never let it go. That's probably not even a realistic thing to talk about. They have all the money to do the lobbying. They have all the power, and and politicians don't know the difference between poker and I mean, how many people do you meet and you go, I play poker and they go, Oh, do you count cards? Right, like, right, right. People don't know the difference in, in, in that this game we play is different from, you know, Mahjong tiles or slot machines or whatever, you know, they don't know the difference. So we're going to still, you know, end up in these places, but that's the thing that poker needs to change. And, and if we can't change that, if that's just not realistic, then, uh, we need some sort of feeder system that really works that gets people interest, new people interested in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, the poker boom was not because of lipstick, lipstick cameras in the WPT, though that helped. The poker boom was not because of Texas Hold'em becoming the game, though that was important. Um, it was not because of the World Series of Poker and Chris Moneymaker, though that was nice. It was because people could start playing for one cent, two cent on the internet. 
That's when the poker boom happened. Look exactly when online poker started and watch the poker boom skyrocket from there. That is what made all the difference. And people cannot do that right now in most states. Mm. And even in even in Nevada, where we have WSLP.com, um, you, you, there are a bunch of hoops you have to jump through that you didn't have to when I started playing poker. I mean, rather than go provide all my ID at the cage in a casino and all that stuff, you know what I did? I went to Party Poker and I gave them my email address and they sent me 50 bucks for free and said, welcome. <laughs> right? That's what we need. We need online poker to come back and we need it to be friendly and low stakes. We need some competition and, and, and to have those low stakes friendly games that people where people can start playing and work their way up and, and just learn about the game. If you can play for nickels and understand how the game works, then you're not intimidated to walk into a casino. But most, people I know that don't play and have never played will usually tell me, I, I just wouldn't know what to do. And I don't I would be intimidated walking into a casino and seeing. And, and, you know, if a brand new person who never didn't know anything about poker sat down at a 2-5 game tomorrow at the wind, half the people at the table would be rude to them because they'd be mad. Yeah. 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 Well, that's unless why. I, unless thing- I was at the table and then half the people at the table would be fighting me because I would <laughs> not tolerate that. But that and that's that's something we have to do is protect the new players, the recreational players. Even if somebody's the worst, most frustrating player in the world. We shouldn't be attacking them for their play, and we should be actively defending people who, who are attacking them for their play. You know, like it's yeah. it's not enough in my world to not um, verbally attack women in the poker room. You have to defend. You have to do something, right? Mm-hmm. We we should be doing the same thing with new and recreational players. If somebody goes after a recreational player, a new player, a bad player at my table, now the fight is with me. So that this person not only isn't being berated anymore, but the person who started it is now being punished for starting it. And yeah. and the person who's the recreational player sees that they have the support of a person. And as as serious poker players, right, we just have more cachet at the table. We shouldn't, but we do. And so we should be defending these people aggressively. You know, I, I got into it with uh I won't say the name, but of uh, but like one of the more well-known players in Minnesota, and if you play a lot there, you, you know who I'm talking about. Who who can be really hard on bad players making mistakes at tables and tournaments, and like the first three or four times he and I interacted, were me telling him to shut his mouth and mm. stop behaving this way and like defending people. And now we get along fine, but at the time, it was it was attacking this person who had you know more fame and more money than I did. But like, what do I care? Like he, like you're in a poker room. Nobody can do anything to you, so speak up. <laughs> I love that. Some great, some great thoughts there. Uh, thanks, Box. Um, so we're gonna start our uh, food bank uh, raffle here. I just want to take a moment to remind our YouTube chatters to type the words "food bank" into the YouTube chat uh, so we can draw a prize later. I just want to remind people that uh, food insecurity is something that a lot of people struggle with, especially these days, and it might be someone that you don't expect. It might be someone in your own neighborhood. It might be someone in your community. And um, you never know who's just struggling to put food on the table or to feed their kids or to help support their family. And uh, one of the highest ROIs uh, you will find on a on a uh, charitable donation is to drop off some non-perishable food items or a few dollars out of your pocket uh, to a local food bank. And if you just pull out your smartphone right now and Google food banks near me, uh, you'll find an organization that could benefit from um, some money, some non-perishable food items, or maybe even just volunteer a few hours of your time every week. 
Um, and one of the ways that we like to do that is just by giving away a prize every week on the show. If people type the words food bank into the YouTube chat here, you'll be entered into our raffles. We'll start doing that um, and we'll do the draw shortly. Fox, um, where where can people find you? Where would you most like people to reach out? What can our listeners do if they said, wow, that was a fantastic interview. I want to get more Chris Fox Wallace in my life. I want to um, say thanks for coming on the show. What's the best way for people to show their support? First of all, I love that you're doing the food bank thing. That's fantastic. I Thanks. work with a couple of groups locally that do food bank stuff and that the charity series of poker that uh, Joseph won an award for, for what award did you win, Joseph? Yeah, Joseph, uh, you had something to add here, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. We won the Daniel Negreanu extra effort award for, for CSOP, my wife, Tony and I. Hold on Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. You and Tony have been uh, uh, big proponents of everything going on in the CSOP and uh, it's great um, having you here on the Wrecking Crew and sharing your talents and your contributions with the uh, with the with the rest of the the poker world. Um, and uh, we're going to be doing some stuff together with the CSOP coming up as well. Uh, uh, but maybe we'll save some of those details until we have a chance to. <laughs> I was going to go um, grab my Daniel Negreanu Extra Effort Award from last year, but I did. I can't know where it is. Oh, <laughs> only two people have ever won that award, and it's me and Joseph. There right? you go. Well, we collect uh, the best here at Rec Poker, no doubt. Let, let me know what I can do uh, to help with all the food bank stuff you do. That's a really, really valuable thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, do, I will for sure. Yeah, I'll I'll come up with some ways to do some extra giveaways or something too. Oh, I love that. We did raise a bunch of money for the uh, Second Harvest uh, Heartland Food Bank in Minnesota while we were there at uh, Running Aces for the um, uh, Rec Poker Weekend. It was just a great way to yeah. raise some awareness, raise some funds like, to drop three, off three three hundred more than three hundred dollars worth of food, right? I think. Oh yeah, and then a few people donated some cash as well that we'll be passing along in their name. So I think. Uh, at, I mean, over five or 600 bucks uh, that we raised there between uh, cash contributions and food contributions. I'm really pleased to be involved in that effort. Uh, so that's fantastic. Um, I'm I'm having some video technical issues here, but uh, you've got enough seeing my ugly mug here on Mondays. Anyway, um, Fox, where can, where can folks reach out if they want to say thanks or uh, get more Chris Fox Wallace into, in their lives? Well, this uh, is sort of the beginning of a, a, a whole effort to, to do more poker training and to, to do more coaching on a kind of a wider basis. Um, so I am going to start streaming live on Twitch and that's twitch.com slash or twitch.tv slash Fox plays poker. And I'm starting a Patreon where I am dumping 20 years worth of notes and articles and, and various other things on, um, which is patreon.com slash check it down. And you can email me at blindstraddle at gmail.com. Any of those things, those are all easy ways to get in touch with me. Uh, poker.photos is also a website. Right. Where there's a searchable database of 2,500 photos of poker players. And there's a, uh, some other stuff on there and some of my wildlife photographies on there, whatever. Fantastic. And uh, as you know, as I mentioned, um, uh, Fox is now an official member of the Wrecking Crew. If you go to rec.poker slash Fox, uh, you can find his Wrecking Crew page with some information about him, uh, some links to what he's getting up to these days. And I encourage everyone to go and find out a little more about uh, Chris Fox Wallace by going to rec.poker slash Fox. Uh, thank you again, my man. Uh, if if uh, if listeners enjoyed this, buckle up. You're going to be getting more Fox in your life over the next uh, little while here at Rec Poker. So I want to say on behalf of all of us here, 
Uh, thanks for your time. And I can't wait to see what the future holds for us, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is going to be super fun. And if anybody out there wants to hang out on Monday nights, if you're in Vegas and you want to, and you're free on a Monday night, we uh, go out and serve food near the homeless shelter. So we always need more people. So get in touch with me and I'll tell you where to meet me or I'll come pick you up on the way or my wife will come pick you up on the way. And uh, yeah, it's it's super fun event. And there's a lot of poker players that go. That's outstanding. And uh, the timing for that will probably work out such that if you want to tune in live here for the podcast at 4.30 Pacific time, um, you'll have plenty of time afterwards to uh, go do some good uh, with Chris and uh, in his group there. So thank you, man. That's awesome. The, the timing is perfect. We usually leave here like about 45 minutes from now. So perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, keep up all the great work and I can't wait to I uh, can't wait to see you again real soon. I will see you again soon on Rec Poker. All right, man. Uh, and I'll put all those, I'll make sure all those links are in the uh, show notes. So if folks want to get a little more Chris Box Wallace in their life, they can check that out. Um, we're going to uh, talk about some home game results, compliments of the one and only John Somsky. And then we will do our food bank raffle and give away some prizes. John, take it away, boss. Oh, you're muted. Yes, yes. Full Somsky. <laughs> I am not the only one to screw up the cues this week. Yes. And he's, yes. A, tech, and he's a tech guy. Oh, I know, but that's I I often forget to unmute. That is called <laughs> pulling a Somsky, but it's been like a year since I've done that, so it's been a while. You still got it. We love it. We love it. Okay, on January fifteenth, ZR ZGRT one 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 zero Chona Bitang got her first nightly victory for the year. Nice. JS or J Setum JS Setum Jeff S got his first nightly victory for the year. M. Babker, Michael Babker, got his first nightly victory for the year. Bone Crusher 14, Marcel Dusix, won That's the it. daily mixed practice event. Mike B. 172, Mike Bayer, won his first international victory. Killy 19341, Rich Deacons got his first international victory. And now then KB won the LPP event, so he can uh. contact Info at rec.poker for his free month at Learn Pro Poker. Right on. Way to go, Doug. Hope you're enjoying the new setup down there in Florida. Very excited to uh, send me send me an update, man. Let me know how things are going down there. We haven't talked since. This is uh, Doug Behrens, who was my roommate in Las Vegas this summer. Um, hope, hope things are going great and uh, glad that you're still kicking butt here in the Rec Poker Home Game Club. And, you know, when, when Chris was mentioned, when Fox was mentioning earlier, um, you know, people, new players finding places to learn for free or for cheap stakes. And, uh, you know, that's what this home game club is all about is play money, uh, play money chips. But the prizes are real. The battle is real. People don't come in and just donk it off. This is for serious players who are trying to practice and get better together. And it's a fantastic way to get some reps in to work on your strategy before you go out into the live card room. Um, people that find that environment a little intimidating or don't feel like they have enough experience to really be a, a boss in the live streets. Uh, join the home game club. It's free and it's a great way to get some experience there. Joseph, did you have something? Yeah, yeah. just I, the the two to seven single draw on Wednesday was was fantastic. And I think that was the, the practice tournament. But uh, yeah, it definitely helped out a lot. So, yeah. yeah, that, that was great. That's right. And if you're in Las Vegas, uh, look up uh, Joseph Wills and the Poker Oasis, uh, his home game club there that he runs with his fantastic uh, wife, Tony. Um, I can speak from experience. It's a great way to go splash around in some low stakes 
mixed games and low stakes, no limit hold them and meet some fun people and, and practice a little bit. So fantastic club you got there. Thanks. All right. So uh, Chris Jones, you've got the Daiso cam out there looking through the YouTube chat. I only see a few people that are entering the food bank drive. I see Joe. No, who's the first one here? Joe, then K poker wannabe, then Jay Fleming, then Troy Chapman. That's four. Is that what you see as well? All right, so we're doing the pyramid, the pyramid die. Four who's, cider, I got. Who, All right, are we ready? Winner? Who's it going to be? Let's find out. It's a three. It's a three. It's hard to Jay put this one on Fleming. camera, but it's a three. There you go. Yep. All right, Jay Fleming, send that email to info at rec.poker and claim your prize. If you are not already a Rec Poker Premium member, you've won a free month of membership here at Rec Poker. And if you are already a premium member here at Rec Poker, then you've won a free month at one of our learning partners and fantastic groups out there. Solve for Why, PokerCoaching.com, uh, The Poker Forge, uh, Learn Pro Poker. Um, oh God, I'm going to miss a few of these right now because we're doing this live on the air. But there don't are a lot of our, Don't forget our new one, Jaka. Oh coaching. yeah, Jaka Coaching just came on board this month as well. So, um, and, and I will just remind you, Jay Fleming, that you can get your first month of Rec Poker Premium member for only five bucks. And then you'd be a premium member. And then you'd be able to win one of these other prizes. So think about it and send that email to info at rec.poker. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else that we should cover here, gang? Chris, I know you've got to jump because you're setting up the deep dive recording session, which all our premium members should go enjoy next. Uh, then I think without further ado... Um, if folks want to help us out, they can go to rec.poker slash support and find some ways to help us either monetarily or just by uh, uh, liking and subscribing to us through a few things. I want to thank all our premium members for their support. I want to thank the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. They've got some fun stuff coming up. Go to runaces.com to check that out. Chris Wallace, John Somsky, Rob Washam, Joseph Wills, Chris Jones, and you, the listeners. We couldn't do it without you. Thanks for tuning into the Rec Poker Podcast. We'll see you next week, folks.